can I, can I take the lead? No. How are you doing today? Let's take a step back for a second. How are you feeling? I'm doing really great today. Like I feel good. Uh, easy day of work. Um, had like a big win that I told you about that just kind of came out of nowhere, which feels good too. Cause especially in my job, like I feel like I, a lot of the work I do, you don't see the tangible results potentially until like three to six months later. So every once in a while, you just kind of get something thrown in your lap and it's like the universe kind of patting you on the back. So that feels good. That's, that's awesome. I mean, I have been out here all week and everything about the, the weather, the space, the parks, just kind of running around the city. Um, I've just had a great time. A, a perpetual smile has been on my face. So I'm looking forward to, to finally being out here, but that's awesome. It's been good. It's been good. That's good, man. Perpetual smile. So you have fallen in love with Cali. Exactly. Got it. Exactly. All right. I just had to hear how you were doing. I want to, I want to jump into this. I want to see what you got. No, I appreciate you asking. So, um, you know, first game, uh, I, I won 11 to eight <laughs> second game. Uh, I lost seven to 11. Right. And then that third game we're, we're playing to seven. It's got to go quick. And, you know, I make one shot, <laughs> I make two shots and then all of a sudden it's six to zero. <laughs> so I'm just, I'm just curious, like, what was going through your mind? <laughs> oh, I hate you so much. I It's just, it got to a point where I think you were just running a drill on me. Like you hit your two spots, you were going back and forth. I, I'm i thinking about the guy right before who said who I wanted the court, right? And we didn't give him the court. And then I shot something. He had some some shit to say. Um, <laughs> I should have been more focused. I you So since we last played, right, and that's when I, I beat you, when I won um, mm. in the summer. There have been multiple developments to your game. One, you're just a significantly better, a better finisher. I also don't think you were like trying to like have layups when we played in the summer. You were doing all mid range, mm -hmm. so kind of the threat of you going past me was something that made me a little more tentative to come out. And then in the end, your mid range actually started falling. So yeah. I just like it was like I could come up and get blown by because I'm 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 like feeling slow, or I could wait and see if your mid range doesn't fall. So, um. Yeah, you you ran a drill on me, man. I have nothing nothing else to say. That second game felt good, though. I, I enjoyed that second game, but the second, second game, game felt good. good. I, I think, think what I learned um, from this from this game is like you have a lot of really good one on one skill. I think I'm I'm used to playing uh, like two threes and fives, so I'm very used to having a lot of space uh, and then trying to blow by people. But you were just kind of sitting around in the paint, and I was having trouble going by you. And then I, my shots also weren't falling. But what I figured out in that third game was like, okay, if he's going to stay this far back, like if I can get close enough to just get like a nice little one hand floater, like that's going to be like my most, you know, high percentage shot. And once I figured that out, I was just like, fuck it. We're just, we're just doing this until he comes out here, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. What I wish I should have done was not shoot the ball at all and just decide to like go in the paint. I think I found like significantly, if you look at like the percentage, found significantly more success going in the paint, big bodying, hitting like a hook or something yeah. or whatnot. Yeah. Um, I just settled. I settled so much. First game I was settling because I was tired. Second and third game, I actually did not feel as gassed and I was still trying to get, get shots up. Um, so you felt like you had more energy in the second, yeah, third game? Yeah, because I cared a lot more. Like I got angry yeah. after the first game yeah. because um, – yeah, man. It was fun though. I like, I just like how you never quit on defense. Like you were always there. So it's fun, like trying to dribble or trying to shake you a bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, next time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, next, next time, 
one, I want to be like bigger next time. So like, obviously I think I was telling you, like, I'm like lifting more. So I want to like, just be like bigger physically. Um, I feel like I have pretty good speed and quickness, but like with knees over toes, I'm like still working on that. And then once I can develop like an actual shot, then the game will change completely. Cause then you'll have to come out, you know, cause that, that, that's what was limiting me the whole time is like, I didn't have confidence in my shot. And then you knew that. So you could stay in the paint, which, which meant that you didn't actually have to tire yourself out guarding me. You know, so I think that's the that's the big difference or the big gap that I got to fill. I just want to get on the record that there were between the three games, a ton of blocks, a ton of steals, <laughs> like the defensive pressure was immaculate. So <laughs> I needed to make sure that was uh, that was on the record. I will say once 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 my layup percentage gets above 50 percent, like I'm going to blow you out of the water because I mean, even in that first game in particular, it could have been way different. After you, like, I think you went up 3-0 pretty quickly, but then, like, I started getting to the the basket and just missing shots. So Yeah, but once again, if I actually went to the paint, I think it would have been closer games, especially in that last game. That's true. Yeah, yeah. It was fun. Well, till next time, um, do you have a place that we can play in New York? Like, what's your favorite place to play? Yeah, every, everywhere I know is out, outdoors, unfortunately. That's like, fine. There's some really – like, on 108, actually, there's a really nice court because there, there's, like, a high school around that corner as well. Okay. Um, and then we can go downtown and there, there are yeah, a few – Rucker Park. <laughs> You're like, Dykeman, like, we can get on the court. Um, could, or, I mean, we get into Levian. Like, they open it. it was, it's been closed the entire Ooh, time. So, if they open that, not Dodge, awesome. but Levian? Yeah, I mean, Dodge is not a real okay. place. Yeah, yeah. Levian Dude, would be dope. I was, I was back, back uh, on campus, let's see, in, uh, in May. It's the last time I went to New York. I tried to get into Dodge. They wouldn't let me in. I was pissed. I was like, come on, guys. Like, I used to work here. Like, I know Ari, who's, like, the manager of the place. But she wasn't there at that time. And they're just like, yeah, COVID. And I'm like, Damn it! Come on, COVID still. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I'd be pissed. Yeah, that's awful. Because I, I would love to get into Dodge. Because like last year of senior year at Columbia, like I was I was in Dodge probably like four or five times a week. Because that's how that was basically my first job, the first time I was ever like making money. So I got a lot of good memories in Dodge. I mean, freshman year, I was shocked that undergrads weren't in Dodge. Like I was there with graduate students making friends with a thirty year old. Yeah. Like that was the kind of community there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when you come out, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. Yeah. yeah. I, feel I feel like, like Columbia, Columbia students, students in general didn't take advantage of a lot of things that Columbia has to offer. Dodge is one. Uh, the rest of New York City is another. Um, and then also just like communally, like I feel like Columbia is such a close campus. There could have been like a more communal and open culture. Uh, whereas I felt like it was very siloed everyone kind of had their group of six friends. And once you made those group of six friends, it was kind of like, you know, I'm just going to stick with my guys. Yeah. But I feel like the, I mean, sure you can attribute that to like the way students work or whatever, but I think there is also like kind of, you always feel stressed out about something, whether it's classes or something. So mm-hmm. it's like you're preventing, you don't have the time to do X, Y, Z, or you can't kind of go out of that, that circle. Or if it, wow, I've been muted the entire time. <laughs> um, wonderful. But uh, the entire yeah. entire time, the entire time, you see the little, you see the little thing where it's oh, no, no, not shit. the entire time, the last like twenty seconds, twenty five seconds. Oh, okay. Um, honestly, I've been looking at this, and I don't see your thing too much on my mic, so I'm just not gonna unmute. Yeah, man. And Even then, if it sucks, like at the end of the day, like yeah, yeah. You know, in fifty years when we listen to this again, it'll be cool that it sounded horrible. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so I'm fine with that. Um, but yeah, I think like stress culture is a bit too attribute to that i mean that's why senior year even though i've taken tons of classes i've forced myself to get out more 
mm-hmm. have those. We also don't have traditions. So it's like, what are, what's happening on campus? Just like, tree lighting. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Which by the way is cool. Like, I don't mean to always shit on Columbia. Tree lighting is cool, but you're right. There were no traditions because I think traditionally, uh, colleges are built around sports cultures yeah. and there's just no sports culture at Columbia. And maybe that's not something that can be fixed. You know, I remember like, this is something that people always complained about. Like there's a lack of community, a lack of culture. Um, and I'm not, I'm not sure. Honestly, I, I want to ask you, like, do you think that that can be changed? Cause I felt like for me, I felt like we just kind of gave up eventually. Hmm. Hmm. I just, I'm not familiar enough with the other Ivies, but I think they probably I actually don't know, but I would assume that like a Harvard or something or even a Princeton, right, have more culture than us because yeah. yes, sports, but also like just historical traditions that are there that maybe mm. like cultivate some level of community. Because yeah. um, even with us, I mean, we have what Orgo Night was kind of a historical thing that we had yeah. and that got, got wiped. So I think it's either sports or you just choose to kind of put your foot in the ground and the longevity of something gives it, give it like importance. Got it. So like the tradition has to come from having been done for a long, long time. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Orgo night. That was really sad the way that happened because I got to say freshman year, Orgo night was one of the first times that I did feel like I was a part of like a larger plat, uh, plat. God. I'm so deep in the sauce. Uh, Columbia community. So deep in the sauce. Especially because that was a that was a crazy time. Like maybe I'm thinking about sophomore year, but sophomore year was when Trump first got elected. Uh, and in you know this is kind of like the beginning of the Trump era. And so thinking about you know having Oregon night and the jokes about that. I just remember that being like an amazing moment. Like I can feel myself there. I can picture it right now. And then the way that they were pushed out of Butler and then they were pushed away from even the front of Butler yep, yep. to the point where like no one wanted to go and it became impossible to do. I, I think I part of me has kind of like a resentment for the Columbia administration because I felt like with Orgonite and also with Bacchanal, every single year they were doing small things to make it less fun to, to the point where they could really push it away. Honestly, was there a Bacchanal this year? There is going to be a Bacchanal, but it's being held at like Terminal 7 or something. It's not going to be on campus. Wow. It's downtown. What, was there a Bacchanal in 2021? No. Okay. Uh, that's a lie. There was a virtual Bacchanal, but no, it, it wasn't anything. And then obviously nothing in 2020. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, like, I think this was, I mean, this is kind of, COVID was the perfect thing for that because I do think that they did want to phase Bacchanal out. And the way they were doing that is they were just giving the committee less and less money. What's the motivation? Why? Why? I don't know. I think it's related to the way that they were trying to shut down the frats. Like one thing that I noticed, because I had a couple of friends that were in frats, is that uh, the, the infringements that you could make to get your frat shut down for a certain period of time, like it became, the bar became lower and lower and lower to the point where like beta, one of my friends was in beta. They were not allowed to have parties for a semester because one person got caught drinking on the stoop. <laughs> like that never would have happened in That's 2015 ridiculous. Yeah. when yeah. I started but in 2019, it was that, I think, I don't know what the ultimate motivation is, but I did see a theme where they were slowly trying to just like the war on fun. You know, this is something that people talk about at Columbia, the war on fun, you know? It's interesting. And then you have the marching band come out on Twitter and like self cancel themselves. They were like internally really negative things have been happening within the confines of this club. So we do not want to continue anymore. 
and that was the end of the marching band. Really? Tell yeah. me more. Did, maybe this happened after what? That was the, I think this happened last year during our virtual year. And we just saw they, they came out. They had a statement that I think, I can't remember the specifics of it, but they had a full statement that said, due to some of the actions that have happened in the club, um, due to the actions that like maybe leadership has cultivated, we believe it does not make sense for this club to continue. And they, they shut it down. Wow. They shut it down. They, they canceled, canceled themselves. They canceled themselves. Do you, you don't see that too often. <laughs> I know you don't. Yeah. Do you think there was a disagreement within the marching band about whether or not to disband? <laughs> Pun intended. <laughs> I hate that. Um, yeah, there's probably disagreement. I just There has to be like events that happen that are quite large to kill a club. So... There, there must have been something there. Um, and I wish I could like find or pull up exactly the wording for what they had. But yeah, I mean, I, I also had a friend, my, my roommate sophomore year was briefly in the, the, the club and he said um, they, whether it was uh, like people stealing things when they held parties at certain houses or like, like random orgy, like it's just like a weird culture that was yeah. in that, that club apparently. Um, so, you know. Yeah, and I feel like when I think about some of the unique things about Columbia, like the marching band is one. Like I distinctly remember, you know, I was part of the NSOP committee, and one of the biggest nights of NSOP. You were part of the NSOP committee? Oh, you didn't know? Yeah. You don't see really. You like, <laughs> I don't see what like a, someone who would want to welcome and like. That's so interesting. Yeah, it was it was a great gig, right? So this is uh, this was my first internship. It was in between sophomore and junior year. Okay. And what was amazing is like they give you a $5,000 stipend and you get to live in for free in one of the dorms. Mm. So I, it was just kind of like the perfect on-ramp for me into awesome. an internship. Yeah. Yeah. And I got to do a lot of cool shit. Like I got to plan like community forum and this night that I'm referring to where all of the freshmen are in uh, Learner and then you go out the back and then all of the, I forget what you call them, but all of the like upperclassmen are there clapping and shit and then the marching band is leading you through this and then you go through the gates it's like i can't believe i don't remember what it's called but it's hype it's like a thing you know yeah um so So, yeah yeah. i don't know why i brought that up but i i uh oh this is why i always felt like the marching band was like a unique and special part Mm -hmm. of like the columbia experience especially during that nsop thing and uh, to hear that they just kind of like disbanded along with like Orgo Night and just a lot of this other stuff, it just it just kind of sucks. You know, I feel like there is a lot of great culture and uniqueness to Columbia that has slowly been kind of just like taken away from the I think, I think also like going to the maybe like the one Orgo Night I was able to make the person who gets on the, the top of the stoop there and like reads off of the script that they have. Yeah. And every single joke is Columbia focus. Everyone's laughing. Like that's the one time I felt outside of like the club stuff I've done, like part of a larger community where we're all sharing in the, in the same things. One, one last thing is I'm curious. So uh, when Trump got elected, I went to an international school, right? Mm. So um, majority also from, from uh, China as well. And when Trump got elected, it was just, it was just kind of silent. Like there weren't exactly, I don't, I don't know if people had the language or knew exactly how to, how to talk about things. I think maybe people were scared to talk about things, but it was just silent. You'd go through the halls and we're already a very small school and there was just kind of no communication about it or, or, or whatnot for that entire day. I'm curious being on campus, like what, what that felt like. Yeah. So I was, uh, I was living in Harmony at the time on 110th and I was actually by myself 
watching CNN for, for hours, just kind of in the, in the living room, in the lobby. And similar to you, like I didn't have much interaction with anyone as it was happening. You know, I think I, I called my parents. I talked to my mom for a little bit on the phone, but I distinctly remember that there was like a Facebook event at like 3 a.m. the night of the election and like a bunch of people got together just to like literally just scream. Wow. I think that was the name of the event. Like we're just here to like scream and like talk shit. Uh-huh. And um, Will Esselfi, uh, someone who he actually works out here in SF, someone I look up to. Like I remember he was there and he set that up. Um, but me, I don't know, man. I think I was uh, a little bit shell shocked. And then I went to sleep and then I just kind of journaled about it the next day. Like yeah. Trump's going to be the president, you know? Uh, and then I just kind of went about my life. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. That's cool, man. That's cool. So uh, let's, let's jive into your jive in. Let's jump into your, your first topic. So, yeah. Um, I like what I have here today. I, I think it's interesting. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I'm excited. So the, the first one I have, right. And this is hopefully the, I, I don't know what you're going to get into, but hopefully it will be our only Russia, Ukraine convo today. Um, <laughs> but there were kind of maybe, maybe two or two events that I saw that made me quite surprised. And then the third thing is just kind of the list of companies that have either put sanctions or pulled out investments out of Russian companies or kind of like taken a step back. Um, the, the one I found quite interesting was, I mean, you, you heard about this MasterCard and Visa deciding to not allow for credit card transactions or anything, not support any cards issued by Russian banks. Um, they made the announcement within, I think, 16 minutes of one another. And like both of them, obviously not allowing for transactions, looking at the partnerships they have in Russia and ceasing those um, and making those sorts of decisions. I mean, even the the visa chairman, right? Al Kelly came out and he said, we are compelled to act following Russia's unprovoked invasion of Ukraine and the unacceptable events that we have witnessed um, in deciding to, to make that, that change. I also was surprised that apparently Russia is 4% of all of Visa's net revenue and also mm. 4% of all of MasterCard's uh, net, net revenues there. But um, so MasterCard and Visa essentially pulled out of Russia, right? You have a, a whole, I mean, you could, you could go and look, a whole other list of people who have also pulled out. And the last thing I found very interesting was um, like Wimbledon, right? The, one of the Grand Slams, right? Um, the, one of the, it's probably, I think it is the oldest Grand Slam, right? On grass. The number one male tennis player right now, Medvedev, is of Russian uh, background, and essentially, they came out and said that if he did not, um, he's currently number one as well, but if he did not publicly provide assurance that he does not support the Russian president, Vladimir Putin, that they would not allow him to compete in Wimbledon, wow. right? And this is this is a player who has come out and said, I am anti-war, I want peace, I, I am whatever, but he's never explicitly condemned the actions of Putin mm. um, because, I mean, you have family in Russia, like that's... Yeah. That's not a, an easy, that's not a um, kind of flippant choice to, to make, right? So I saw this and I think a lot of questions popped up. The first one kind of related to MasterCard is when things like this happen, should there be companies that are, I don't know what body would regulate this, but should there be companies that are not allowed to kind of pull out of countries because they give a basic, uh, like a basic function that affects the quality of life of individuals in that country? Mm-hmm. So are some things too important to be uh, taken away from people? Exactly. Exactly. Interesting. Well, hmm. the, I mean, I, I remember 
last time when we talked on this podcast, I talked about how like the right to transact uh, is kind of beneath all of your other rights. Because if you don't have the right to transact, you don't really have the right to assemble. You don't really have the right to free speech because all of those things require uh, your ability to be able to like get your basic needs and necessities. Um, the first thing I thought when you said, should there be a governing body to like regulate this? My first thought was like, no, because kind of like, who would that be, right? Yeah. I think in the current like international order, uh, the only uh, entity that has jurisdiction over any private or public company is the nation state that that uh, company decides to kind of like enlist in. Yep. yep. Um, and I can't, I can't even answer these questions without thinking about crypto because like what happens when you can basically uh, list your company on a blockchain that is not uh, tied to any one nation state in particular? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that changes things. In terms of MasterCard and Visa pulling out, I think the reason this happened is because they have a close relationship with the Biden administration. Um, I knew that coming into it. I remember when Plaid and Visa were going through our little uh, uh, get together and then breakup. I remember my mom saying something like, you know, Visa has so many great lawyers and they have such a relationship with like Biden in particular. Like if they want this to get through the DOJ, it will get through. Uh, and at the end of the day, I think, you know, our CEO just decided he didn't want to wait, even if he thought it would get through. Um, but I think that's a big part of this. And one thing that has been really interesting to me is just how much leverage uh, the U.S. actually has. And obviously, the U.S. has a lot of leverage, but we have a lot of leverage. Like a lot of things have happened in such a short amount of time that I think has surprised everyone. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. And I mean, back to the like, Back to the right to transact point. Like I, I understand how crypto would be the direct solution, but it just it it it's shocking to me that Vladimir Putin makes this sort of decision, and suddenly the Russian people can no longer go and get their groceries, or no longer mm-hmm. kind of operate in that that place. And I mean, I have friends that have a lot of family over there, and seeing something like that is quite quite surprising. I also think there's an in, maybe this is like the cynic in me, but I think there's like an interesting conversation to be made about. I mean, you have like companies on mass pulling out of Russia. Um, and I'm curious if there's like a, it's not the right term, but like a virtue signaling part of it where like if every mm. company in an industry is going to pull out, like you have to pull out immediately right. um, or versus like wanting to actually enact those sanctions. So I just, well, I, is, yeah. is this the 2022 version of all the companies that said we're going to hire more black employees, mm, mm, mm. you know, cause I felt like after George Floyd, similar to what you said, there was kind of this thing of like, oh, we have to do or say something because all of our competitors are doing and saying something. Even MasterCard and Visa, like at the time my mom was working at Visa, almost in lockstep, you know, you said 16 minutes, they made this announcement, almost in lockstep, they came out and said, hey, we're going to go ahead and and set a quota for the amount of black people that we want to hire in the next, you know, whatever, two or five years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And when it comes to, because MasterCard Visa, like I understand the political ties you're mentioning and that sort of thing, but Wimbledon, like the (laughs) fact that the Wimbledon has to be out there and making these broad statements that may or may not, like sure, Wimbledon is a really important institution and maybe the fact that they won't show the flag right on the fees is important, but to not allow a top player to play because he won't do something that will endanger his family seems to be uh, just a, a bizarre turn of events. Like I don't know the net benefit of that sort of action versus what could happen to his family. Yeah, that's a great point. 
especially because like when I think of Wimbledon, I don't think of it as like just a, like a U.S. only event. Like obviously like the Super Bowl, that's a U.S. sporting event. But Wimbledon, you know, people from all across the world are allowed to compete and participate. And even if it's in the United States. It's in London. For oh, it's not. It's in yeah, London. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I was thinking of the U.S. Open. Yeah, yeah. But still, it's, it's like of the West. Hmm, that's, that's a great, great point. point. I, I feel like we're kind of living through a moment where you have to pick a side of, of everything, right? <laughs> and even something like Wimbledon is, is asking all of their players to pick a side. Honestly, it, it's similar to, um, I was watching this great TikTok, like someone who has some like political status in India was kind of responding to the United States. And the United States was basically asking India to be on its side and kind of against Russia, whereas huh. India wanted to stay neutral. I feel like we're kind of living through this moment where this is such a cataclysmic event that the U.S., which is dominant, or the West, which is dominant, is like asking everyone who is not either of the West or Russia specifically to choose a side. There's no neutrality allowed. Yeah, yeah. That's super interesting. I don't know why. It just feels like, though, it's a continuation of other things. I feel like with almost everything, you have to pick a side. Trump, Black Lives Matter, COVID, vaccines. There's no middle ground anymore. Mm -hmm. It's also interesting to see the differences in reactions because the 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 people being claimed are have white skin and look a certain way and like if you look at other conflicts happening that sort of response doesn't happen and the whole pick a side doesn't happen um well this is so what's interesting is this is the first time that we're going to be able to watch a war unfold where where white people are dying right because there have been wars during social media right there have been wars in the middle east for the past 10 years but we've never actually seen white people die on social media yeah i actually think this is the the it's we're in a weird position right now because we've done a lot to hurt russia's economy and it'll and it'll, and it'll show its face over time uh but we clearly do not want to get involved you know this whole no fly yep. zone yep, everything. Yep, yep, yep. yeah i do think what uh I think Biden is going to be put in a very tough position because I think as this continues, we're going to see more and more just awful footage on social media of like what's happening in Ukraine. And I think over time, certain people in the United States will petition Biden to go to war, literally just to stop having to see because we, we've never lived through something like this. And you believe that group like petitioning or whatever will be like the left liberals progressives like you think that is the definitely because kind of i mean we already That's see that now like i mean most people like most republicans are saying like we should definitely not get involved mm -hmm. i think mm -hmm. most people on the left also think that we should not get involved but i think they're leaning more closer towards uh caring about the ukrainian people mm -hmm. whereas i feel like on the right it's more like we don't care about those people like i don't know where ukraine is hmm. you know that's my sample size of twitter like that <laughs> i see that kind of progressive people or whatnot um you see them actually comparing the amount of money we're spending on funds being sent there resources being sent there and like why are we not working on this like domestically or why are we not spending on this so it's just interesting to hear that mm. they would be the group of people like kind of pushing it um in your opinion because i i see it kind of similar to like the domestic before international so let's talk about that so you're saying a lot of people are looking at like 
you know, the $800 billion of weapons and they're like, Hey, can you like cancel my student loan? Exactly. Debt? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That sort of thing. Well, I mean, I think this is related to the conversation we had a while ago about like modern monetary theory mm-hmm. where, you know, there, there are parts of it that I agree with where it's like, you know, we do have enough money to cancel everyone's student debt. You know, we do have enough money to give everyone universal basic income, but some things are just much easier to pass with consensus than others. Yeah. Right. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I, I mean, I love tennis. My mother is one of the biggest tennis fans and Serena fans I would ever really? know. So I we used to like that. go to the U.S. Open all the time. We played tennis growing up. Like that was a big part of. So let's go to the U.S. Show. Open this year. I, I went last year. I saw Anisha Kori and Djokovic. Um, wow. I, I'd be so down. Okay. I'd be so down. We also have to play tennis too. Are you good at tennis? Can you I'm, tennis? I'm, I'm okay. I started playing. So I played tennis in the seventh grade. Like I went through this little phase where I was like, uh, like I, I played soccer my whole life. And yes, I went through yeah. this phase in middle school where I was like, I want to try new things. <laughs> and, I, and I remember at the time, like the reason this is like, it sticks out in my mind is because my best friend at the time, like we, we were really competitive in soccer with each other. Mm-hmm. And I remember he was just talking so much shit to me about like not playing on like the middle school soccer team to play tennis. He was like, dude, you're just scared. Like you don't want to be on the field with me. And I'm like, no, I actually just want to try something new. Like you should just let me do this. You were scared, weren't you? Ah, no, fuck that. No, I was always better than him. Uh, that's awesome. If you Google me, you will see that I was part of the Delaware Valley tennis team. Really? That would go over. Yeah, yeah, Was that, were you guys like good? Like, did I, you I play seriously? I can't remember if we were that good. I, I had a few games. I remember I was playing this one kid. My entire family came. My aunt was on the sidelines, whatever. And I think he beat me 6-2, <laughs> 6-1. And I started crying and I, I will never forget this. Like it was stuck in my head. I like had to turn and like look away. Um, it was the, we were maybe, maybe this was like eighth grade and I was playing like the six, four Indian kid who wow. is probably professional, right? He was just like a monster. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll never, I'll never forget that, but yeah, we should go. Yeah. Tennis is fun too, because you never, there's no other sport. Well, I guess basketball, but no other sport with as much side to side. Yeah. So it's a really good yeah. it's, All lateral movement. Yeah. 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 Cross training, you know, <laughs> hit me, hit me with um, your next, where do I want to go with this? So if, if, if that was the end of our Russia, Ukraine, uh, which I'm down with, honestly, I want to talk about this, this Gary V thing a little bit more, uh, especially since we were talking about VCon. I don't know. This just, this just feels like if ever there was going to be something that people were mad at Gary V for doing, this is just the last thing that I ever would have thought happened. Well, you have to explain what it is. Yeah, I mean, for our audience, like <laughs> <laughs> Gary V, and I didn't find this out until two hours ago, so it shows how much I, I, I know, but he was spotted on Instagram with this gorgeous, I mean, what do you think, 28? 20, yeah. Between 28 and 32, which, I mean, I'm not mad about that. It's just he's he was- 50, what do you think he is? No way, he's 44. Really? Yeah, he, he turned 40. Me and Gary V have the same birthday. Did you, really? did you know I that? I didn't know that either. So he is either 44 or 45. Huh. Uh, okay. So I'm like, I, the age difference is not crazy with me. Um, I think I think the reason I'm just so conflicted about this is I've actually seen, so I've watched a lot of Gary Vee content. There's very little Gary Vee content with his family. Mm-hmm. There's none with his kids. Yep. Yep. But there is one uh, piece of content that I saw his wife in. And it was him and his wife. They were chilling on a couch and they were talking to some like hip hop star. And, um, 
you know, they were cute. Like obviously like longtime married couple, like it, it wasn't crazy, but like it just felt like they had a nice warm relationship, you know? And the way that Gary always talked about his wife and his kids, it's like, we have a, you know, we have a great dynamic, yep. you know, what he says that he decided to marry his wife on the first date. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, yep. And, and, and that's because, you know, she was very independent. She was going to let him do his thing. And just to find out not, it's not that they broke up. It's the fact that, I just don't feel like he really loves this girl. Like, you know, like I just feel like he just wants to fuck her. Uh, but like, you know, I don't know anything. So, um, I thought it was so. Like, yes, he's been very private about his family, but his entire, like, a solid twenty five percent of his brand is kind of that family oriented thing of what he's like. It was in his bio, right, for mm-hmm. a long time and that sort of thing. So, seeing the response on Twitter and Instagram of people saying, "I will." I have followed you for the last 10, 15 years and I will no longer follow you because you've made this drastic change and left your wife and your cha- your children are young and all these things. It was just so jarring to me. Like it was a shocking turn when his personality is kind of like set in this thing. Um, at the same time, I, I mean, you know me, I'm a huge proponent of people doing what makes them the happiest. And like, we don't know these people. We don't know what the situation actually was. Um, but she's like a like a mindfulness girl. It was just such a random thing. <laughs> it's like really gay, like, really like one of them, random. one of those. Uh, it was so random. Honestly, Honestly to your point, like, like when you were saying um, you're a proponent of people just doing what's right for them. Honestly, Honestly this, this is, is one of the most Gary V things to do because, like, like something he talks about very very often is like, you know, so, so something he said before is like, you know, one day I might just decide to like not post on social media anymore and just go live in a fucking cave and not talk to anyone. And if that's what I want to do, I'm going to do it and like fuck what all of you think. I feel like this is like, it's, it's, it's like an on-ramp to that. Not that I think he's going to go do that, but like this is clearly someone he wanted to be with, a decision that he made for whatever reason. And it took a lot of balls for him to just come out and just like post her on Instagram, even if I don't like it. You got, you got to respect it because he knew what would happen and yeah. he did it anyway. Yeah. At the same time, there's an argument, and we discussed this a bit earlier, there's an argument to be made that you look at what he's done in the last six, seven years and you look at the clothes he wears getting a little trendier, right? You look at his, <laughs> wow, his hair being dyed a little more. You yep. look at him going out and wearing less, buff. like working getting out. a little buff, exactly. Um, hanging out more with rappers. You see him in studio sessions. Like there is definitely a persona he's trying to lean into in a way he wants to be perceived. Well, I'm, I'm going to make a comparison to Joe Budden. Okay, are you ready? I'm so, so ready. So something that Rory said that I think uh, like flipped the switch in my brain in terms uh-huh. of like why Joe Budden kind of is the way he is. I feel like Joe Budden, you know, when he was when he was a rapper, a lot of people don't recognize, like people really were comparing him to Jay-Z. Like he really was going to be that kind of the way that Kanye and Jay-Z like d- developed a relationship. Like that was supposed to be him kind of. He was supposed to be up there with Nicki Minaj and it didn't work out for him. But the podcast was the first time he got onto that level where he always felt like he should have been. And a lot of the bad behaviors that had kind of been simmering for a long time started to come out. Mm-hmm. What I told you was like thinking back, like Gary talks a lot about how, you know, from 14 to basically 34, he just worked in a liquor store. Yeah. All his friends, and, 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 and he kind of uses it as a chip on his shoulder. Like I was patient and now I'm me. But like, you think about like, you know, he's a good looking dude. Obviously he's got lots of money and status, but now he's got a different type of status where he's not just a businessman and an entrepreneur, but he's actually really loved 
by all of these rappers and basketball players who constantly have women around them. He's probably in circles with really, really attractive women. His wife, you know, they, they obviously work so much, so he doesn't see them all the time. Like it makes a little bit of sense where it's like, he sacrificed so much of his young adulthood. Maybe he found someone that he really vibes with. Maybe this girl is cool. Who knows? Like probably not, but like, maybe she's cool. Maybe she works for Gary. Uh, maybe he just wants that for himself. Yeah. Do what makes you happy. I just, you couldn't wait until the kids were like 20 or something. Like you couldn't delay this at all. Let's talk about that. Why do you think, like, why do you think, uh, you know, I think they're probably like, you know, 10 and 14. I don't know. Why do you think that matters? Um, I think that it makes a lot of sense for the, your, your parents to be together for those formative years and mm-hmm. to kind of last until you get into your 18 and, and, and kind of follow through with that. To be quite honest, like I, I have been very lucky to not have that kind of in my family or even the, the families of friends. So I don't have too many data points there. But I think being able uh, – we spoke about this earlier about how I believe that you could have – you should not be tied to one person for your entire life. And that mm-hmm. person that you marry at 22 until you're, you're 75, 80 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that relationships go through ebbs and flows and you could work on relationships, but it's not like divorce is not a sin. Like it's perfectly right. fine to kind of t- take that step and find, find new people at the same time um, that directly impacts uh, a children's life. And the, the kind of things that could happen during those formative years will have a outsized impact on their life. So that's, that's kind of why I see waiting until they hit 18 before you make those sorts of decisions. Right. Cause it's like being raised by two parents is better than one. And especially when you're going through a lot as you're developing in your teens, your tweens. And then when you're going to college, like it's important to have that, that stable unit there. Yeah. Unless, I mean, there's also, there, I mean, my my aunt is like my second mom. Like, there, there's an argument to be made about like kind of commu- communal bringing up. Like, if your family right. is close together, if your community is very tight, right. um, having support in other ways. But for the kind of normal nuclear family, like that, I think that's true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to that point, like I was basically raised by my my grandmother, my mother, and my dad because hmm. my my parents, you know, they they traveled basically an hour to 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 work their jobs, uh, you know, away from Ann Arbor where I grew up. So it was my grandmother who was picking me up from school every day wow. and like making me dinner and like playing gym rummy with me. <laughs> uh, and, and, and then it like, and then eventually she got sick, but like that, at that point, like I could, I could drive myself, yeah. you know? So yeah. the timing kind of worked out that way, but she was basically like, I mean, she was basically equal with my parents in terms of raising me. Yeah. Yeah. My aunt was the same way. I just want to say one last thing about Gary Vee. And this just came to me. We've never seen a picture of Gary Vee's wife. Well, didn't you just say the, the- well, we we did see that video, but okay. I, but again, I think that it was it was it was just because of the way it was shot, right? Like it's not something he posted. Like it was mm-hmm. just a bit, you know, it was it was different. Yeah. Like why why are we seeing this picture of him and her? Because Gary Vee has talked about I'm the most private public person you've ever heard of. He he is, he is I've heard him say you you can't find a picture of my kids. Like, why, why did he feel the need to post this girl? Once again, okay, like 10% of that I think is because the, the, the woman probably asked him to be posted or something mm-hmm. like that. Like yeah. maybe I don't know, it's her brand or whatever is being built there. That's, that's part of it. I think in the past year, he has gone through a major evolution. This is not the same Gary that we kind of grew up like listening Ooh, to. Tell right? me more. Like I think with 
VCon with the friends, the developments that he have made, he has made on the last year has put him in a different pedigree when it comes to being a, like a feature, right? Like being a celebrity, right? Mm-hmm. You go from this business, this hustle content, this media mogul, that sort of thing to being a person in like the, the, uh, the zeitgeist, like being a person in mm-hmm. culture that matters, right? You see him on television all the time. You, you, you want to hear his opinion. He's That's driving right. this new, uh, uh, nft and and whatnot so i think i think they're like levels to this shit and he just Uh, went up a level right and this comes with that and he's posting her like i think this is something we're we're watching right now it's also right like exactly and for v friends to be successful he has to evolve like he, he spoke about his life work being to make this ip matter right and to make that ip matter he also has to has to matter like those things are not mutually exclusive honestly like what you're saying is making me think like like, yeah, like if you've been following Gary V like pre-COVID, like pre-T with Gary V, pre-V friends, yeah. then I guess all of this feels normal and it just feels like uh, it's just the same old Gary just doing new shit. But maybe he really is in a different category with this V friend stuff. Yeah. I think sometimes uh, sometimes you underestimate like how much people know who Gary V is. Like, I, I guess I always just kind of walk around assuming that everyone has heard of him. Mm-hmm. But maybe in 2021, to your point, like a lot of people found out about him for the first time and he's just kind of in a new category. Exactly. Now. Yeah. That's, that's how I see it. Interesting. That is how I see it. Cool, man. Let's, let's do your second topic. Yeah. So um, this is cool. So there I, is... lo- I love how you start your topic. It's going to be fucking great. <laughs> um, this is – so there's a show that just came out, right? First of all, these sh- we can talk about that for a second. These shows are popping up so much. This whole like the entrepreneur that did this thing and now they either got arrested or you think like Fire Festival or you think about Theranos or you think about all these shows that are popping up. And it's so interesting that like this is the content people want. Like these are the shows <laughs> that like people are eating up. Uh, do you do you watch it? Like did you see the Fire Fest like documentary? Like did you did you watch any of that stuff? Well, so like how would you uh think like how would you group these shows thematically? What are you talking about? Um disgraced founder that at one point was being looked at as a visionary like that sort of thing oh okay so i have i have not watched fire festival okay give me some more examples like what are some fire festival theranos super pumped about travis kalanick um the anna whatever i'm blanking on her name but i know that was getting a lot of attention um they're just it's been a flurry like with with the uber store and the theranos story i think those are probably the two biggest ones. Fire Festival, I feel like you could put under this. We work, we work has a show now and a movie that's coming out. Um, Another one? Yeah, they have. <laughs> there have been two knocks. <laughs> first of all, I watch both of them back to back. There is uh, Jared. Jared Leto is playing uh, uh, Adam Newman in this mm. new one, and it looks actually really good. Okay. Um, so it's just like there are a lot of these movies and stuff coming out, and it's it's interesting. So, do you think this is like uh, we're we're getting into the, like the demonization of the entrepreneur? That was going to be my, like, I, I I wonder what about this content makes people so enthused, right? Because I think mm-hmm. a lot of things you see is, maybe that's not true, but I, I was going to say that like some of the things you see when it comes to startup stuff is like American dream type content. Um, but now that I think about it, that, that's not like entirely true. Like I can't think of like an American dream type startup story that is, has become very popular. The most popular like finance things are like Wolf of Wall Street or that sort of content, right. which I mean, obviously does not end positively. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I think maybe it's a little of the demonization. Well, even social network, I guess Zuckerberg is is displayed in a negative light, but I think it is like a demonization of the founder type thing. 
Yeah, just a sidebar. Social Network is one of my favorite movies ever. I by the way, that's so I don't know, I don't know what it is. I think it's I think it's the the music in that yeah. movie, like the soundtrack, will just like shit is perfect, like like exquisitely done, like yes. to the point where it's I don't I don't notice the music in most movies, but mm-hmm. like you notice it in that movie. Mm-hmm. Sidebar though, I also um, just love Andrew Garfield. Yeah, as an actor. like I don't know. Maybe this is happening because, um, like. You know, one thing that honestly, like Gary Vee and Balaji talk about a lot is how like the traditional media landscape, um, Hollywood and, and traditional media, you know, they, they, they don't like social media because it, it stole attention. And they don't like tech in general because it stole attention uh, and it hurt their business models in a meaningful way. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think about the way that a lot of people react to Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and, and all these billionaires. Maybe this is just another... Um, iteration of like the tech lash where it's like people like to watch all of these billionaires and tech people fail um, because maybe in their minds it's kind of a confirmation that these people were only successful because they were like bad that's very interesting which which by the way like one of the things that draws me to tech is this concept of like it's not just like the, the 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 people that i love in tech uh it's not just about money. Like we are capitalists, but we feel like we are good and we're doing something good and we're very competent. Mm-hmm. Like we're not bad people. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's interesting. You say competent instead of like, like the competent being like, we're morally good people as opposed to bad, like competent being the word there. Well, I th- it, it's two different things, but I think both matter mm-hmm. um, because it's not luck. Yeah. You know, I think that's another thing about startups that, gets misrepresented is like the idea that it's like easy and you can just get to a billion easily. Mm-hmm. Like most startups fail horribly. Yeah. So I think there's one, like, I think, you know, when I think about Plaid CEO, when I think about a lot of the tech people that people, Jeff Bezos, Elon, like these are, these are competent people. It's not by accident. You know, it's not luck. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing. And at the other side, there is, of it, there is a lot of luck, though. It's not all luck, but there is like you can't downplay luck involved. I think in a lot of those. Well, let's situations. talk about that. So, like, like talk. What, what kind of luck do you think is involved? Um, I'm trying to remember specific founder stories because you know, like the the Guy Raz question, right at the end of how I built this, is always like, what percentage of your success is hard work versus luck? And I could see when people look at the mentors that they got when they were building something, like they mentioned the luck involved in that. When they think about the investors that they were when raising money, like the luck involved in a lot of that. Obviously, like competence and hard work when it comes to startups is a given, right? Mm-hmm. There has to be a flick that means this company will win versus this company when they have a similar value proposition or that sort of thing. I. I I'm like looking for a specific example, but I, to, to downplay the role in luck is not, I, I don't agree with that. Okay. I think the way that I think about it is, um, ooh, ooh, oh, ah, mm, okay. Mm, Did you see that Kim Kardashian video? We, oh, the, when she you, was you better work? Yeah, when she was telling people to work hard. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I, you I think- to clarify when you say that Kim Kardashian video. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> If um, I think my explanation of I think my take on this will help you understand the, where, where I'm coming mm-hmm. from. So when you think about someone like Kim Kardashian, like she got her start from a porn video, uh, and then she kind of like built this this empire, um, and, it, and it's all built on the fact that she's like really beautiful and she has a great body, etc. And so the question I always ask is like, you know, that's luck. Like she was just she was born gorgeous. She was born into a rich family. But the question you have to ask is like, how many people had her same circumstances 
born into the same kind of rich family with the same kind of mother with business savvy and the same kind of body. How many gorgeous women do you see on Instagram that are not at that level? Mm -hmm, you have mm -hmm. to ask yourself, why are they not at that level? Yeah. Right? Like why yeah. does not everyone get there? Yeah. And that's why I don't like when people say, oh, they're only up there because they're gorgeous or because they shake their ass. You have to ask like, why is not everyone who has that up there? Mm -hmm. And I think for someone like Kim Kardashian, say what you will, she's been putting in the work every single day for a really, really long time. Now, if you transfer that over to startups, like obviously luck plays a role, but you have to think about every person that had a great mentor that never made it because they just weren't good enough. Like you have to think about every person who got the opportunity and fucked it up because they weren't good enough. Like at the end of the day, yes, that person maybe had someone help them get on first base, but maybe they were the only person that could have taken that opportunity. That's such a weird way to see it. Like the, the the question of like you have a set of people who all are at like the same point or whatever and only one of them succeeds. I feel like that just sounds like more of a luck thing than a hard work thing. I think there are so many mm -hmm. hardworking, competent people out there, mm -hmm. right? Incredibly competent people. There are people who have struggled with problems for a long period of time. Like there are people who have been building companies and putting their all into it for a long period of time and they still have not hit that point, right? And I, I, don't, I don't view that as a... If you were to make a graph with confidence and success, like I, or sorry, hard work and success, like I don't, I don't see that there are people who put in so much work and still get nowhere. Well, right? But, so but, and I agree with that. The catalyst is luck. Like that is a, a quite a factor. But, but let's, let's add another, let's add a Z axis to this, right? Mm. There's also talent. Mm. Right. Like it's mm. not just, it's not just like how, how many hours did you put in over this many years, how you got to Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos is different than everyone else. Not just because he worked hard, but because maybe he was just born different than you. Like, I, and I think that's something that we need to recognize. Like LeBron, in, like LeBron James, it's not just the fact that he has been working so hard on his body for so long. He's different. He was different in high school. He's different. And I think that's something that we don't talk about enough is some people are just different. And that's okay. If if we go back to Harvard in 2000, whatever, right? I think you could find a lot of Zucks at that point, right? And there just happened to be one Zuck that made this thing that went viral and that he then built a company out of it. I don't look at, like now you could you could look at him and all the things that he's done, how big Facebook is and be like, this person's a, a genius, he's different. I think if you go back to the start of that company, there were a lot of people who could have hit on the same points that they hit on. And the there is a luck factor that Zuck ended up putting this out here and it kind of gained that traction very, very quickly. I think that I think that's well taken. Like I don't think that Mark Zuckerberg. I think there were other people at Harvard who were as smart as Mark Zuckerberg or who had the same idea. Mm -hmm. But I think the fact that he made Facebook. I guess this is the way I think about it. The fact that he made Facebook and they didn't is is literally the point. Like that's how you know they were different, right? Because maybe they were as smart. Maybe they had the same idea, but for whatever reason, they didn't have all the things that you need to actually do the thing and make it work. I think the fact that it happened is the point because you actually couldn't have known that they were different until you let them all try. Interesting. Interesting. But he could have done the same thing and no one would have shared it. Like, I don't think it was a guarantee. Maybe, I don't know if I agree entirely with that, but. Huh. I want to have this conversation again after I can think about it a little more. Yeah, we, I should, we, should, we should have this conversation in 20 years and see how we feel. Because <laughs> I just think.
Yeah, I mean, I what's your net? Like, I I had something about Uber, but now this was like more of a thought provoking thing than I was gonna I was gonna chat about. Yeah, like I, another thing I'll say about this is just like even now that I've been working at Plaid for two years, it's just like some people just have something extra or different, and it's it's bigger than hard work. Um, Will Tony is a great example. I think Will Tony has like a distinct level of presence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can feel it from him mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. even through a Zoom call. Like I'm so excited to like meet him in person. But like when I think about someone like that or like a Christina, it's not just like the hard work. It's like the exquisite attention to detail. Yeah. And like it, it just it just shows. I I think um, it's not just about hard work and luck. There's also like a talent gene that goes into this that you can't necessarily account for, and it plays a role. And I guess I just don't like, um, I don't like when people say, oh, that happened because of luck, because I think it diminishes the, the other two axes, the mm-hmm. talent and the hard work. Because again, ask yourself this, yes, they had that opportunity, but why didn't everyone else who had that opportunity get to the place that they got to? Yeah. Sure. Hmm. Yeah. I just, in my head, for some, the talent thing, I think, is an interesting point. Because in my head, hard work and competence is a given. Everyone at a certain level needs that, right? You got to have it to be to be relevant, right? To be in this competition, right? I, I do believe there are people who have, whether it's presence, whether it's it's charisma, attention to detail, the, the ability to inspire people, the ability mm. to put confidence in different people. Mm. There, there are so many people who I meet who I'm like, wow, that I leave just like that was special. Yeah. Right? I believe that's a thing. Um, I'm, I'm fighting the idea that luck plays zero part in it. That's right. the idea. I'm, I'm not saying it's 90%. I'm, I'm fighting the idea that it plays zero part. And I think, um, I think that's well taken. Luck is, is, is still a factor for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, do you want to hear about Grayball or do you want to? About what? <laughs> Operation Grayball is very, let me just tell you about it yeah. and then we can hop because yeah. I don't want to spend too much time. So this show. Super pumped is I think it's like a Showtime show or whatever. It's a, the story of Uber. Gordon uh, Levitt, what's his name? Gordon uh, Joseph Gordon yes. Levitt. <laughs> Joseph Gordon Levitt plays Travis Kalanick, right, the founder of Uber, and he just I mean his he plays it so well. Like he's just an asshole. He's an abrasive person. He's mm. like that sort of thing. He once again has that talent gene of being kind of like a fuck you like personality, right? Yeah. Um, and inspiring people through through that way. So they the the show starts by talking about their fight with Portland because okay. Travis Kalanick was essentially like, let's run Uber in Portland. Let's make it happen. We are a tech company. We aren't a taxi company, which means we don't have to follow any of the regulations they have for taxi companies there. Let's mm. just make this app be a thing, right? Mm. And they started, the, there were drivers in Portland. They were driving around. They were, they were starting with this app, whatever. And the government would be like, you're not following any of these regulations. So mm. the government would call Ubers the Uber would come and then they would either like pull a fine out on the driver Ooh. or like impound the car or like do all these things. Right. And Uber drivers were freaking out. They were like, why we don't want to be driving around if we're, these things are going to happen. Right. So operation Grayball. this was a piece of software that they developed Okay. that the goal of the software is to be able to identify when a government official, a police officer was using Uber and instantly show that there are zero cars around them. And that Uber is not in effect, right? The way it worked was very cool. So they would, they're like maybe like five or six different like 
kind of parameters in this algorithm. The first one was just geofencing around government buildings and that sort of thing and just denying access to those buildings. Two, they went through credit card databases online and mined a bunch of those credit cards to be able to see when a credit card was put into Uber, if they have high level of conviction or something, that credit card belongs to like a government official or something like that. Oh, shit. Right. That was the second thing. The third thing, they found the device numbers of cheap cell phones to see when, because the the thing was like these, these government officials would sometimes pick up like cheap smartphones or something to be able to use the Uber app. So they would like find the device number. If it was coming from a cheap cell phone, they wouldn't like allow it access. Right. Um, they also, this is, uh, this is the most interesting thing. They would look up the um, names of like people who uh, went like created a profile in Uber, look it up on social media, trying to find if those people worked for like the government or something mm-hmm. to see if there's a correlation there. And the last thing that they did was monitoring how many people would just open the app, look at it and close the app because a lot of government officials were just like monitoring, seeing what was on Uber and that sort of thing. That is so complex. <laughs> isn't that awesome? Like, isn't that really, really cool? I can't believe they put that much effort into that just yeah, to get I, Uber off the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I, I mean, if, if your drivers were being essentially like punked by the government and stuff being impounded, all these things, like you would want to solve some of these issues, right? That feels like almost like not cyber warfare, but like that level of detail. Like going, getting credit card transactions and trying to match them with government officials. Cause it's not like they know who exactly is going to be using Uber. Like there, there, there could be so much like unnecessary busy work involved in that, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but maybe that's what they had to do to like get Uber to work. It's just, I, I don't top of my head. I can't think of too many examples of startups creating software to combat the government. Like that is such a, a leap to be made there. And they, whether it was. Um, I think they had like a, a a button where if the government raided an Uber office, they could press that button and it would just delete all the software off of like these computers and stuff. So the government wouldn't be able to see it. Like the amount of shit Uber did is insane. And the fact that we still, I could call an Uber right now and it's, this is a company that's global and doing all these things and in China, well, investing in like China and all these different things is is such a shocker because- I mean, they had like a, a, not an espionage program, but they had like a full-on operation for a long period of time. The other thing, last thing about Uber, which I thought was interesting is uh, this is in the book, Super Pumped actually. So when Uber, I want to say it's India, when Uber started, maybe it's not India, when Uber started working in like some country, um, the the uh, like mob or whatever kind of ran the taxis in that country. Mm-hmm. So they would go out of their way to like hurt Uber drivers and like hurt nice. gig workers and intimidate gig workers and that sort of thing. And it's just so interesting because you these are pseudo employees, not really employees of this company that are inflicting, like getting harm on them and their families for a company that's profiting off of them. And it's right. like just an interesting I mean, we've created this gig worker in the last 10 years, right? And it's like an interesting dynamic with how that sort of thing works. Yeah, especially because Uber drivers are more like users than they're like employees. And so to a certain extent, you want to fight for them because if you have a good reputation with your users, more users will come, more drivers will come to your platform. But at the end of the day, there's no contractual obligation for them to be treated like employees and for them to be fought for. Honestly, I had no idea that Uber had this much trouble getting going yeah not in the u.s but in other countries apparently to, to your point not only is it like they're not an employee so you don't have to care but like uh, uber especially when it was starting had such a constant flow of supply that if people are churning right you don't you don't really care about that another uber driver will replace and give kind of the same quality of service right 
Interesting. Damn. So yeah. this is a movie or this is so a show? This is a show. Uh, it's like a limited series type thing. You should watch. Huh. I think you'd enjoy it. Um, do you think you said that Joseph Gordon-Levitt plays like this really like asshole character? Do you think that's like accurate of what Travis Kalkinick was like? Oh, there's a ton of evidence that the, okay. the, like I, it's a longer thing, but there there was a viral video of um, like GoPro footage in an Uber of Travis going ballistic on this Uber driver because the Uber mm-hmm. driver turned around and he was like, um, you. I, I forget the specific. It was like we're not being paid enough, or he had some sort of um, comment. Oh, he knew it was him. Yeah, yeah, he knew it was him. And Travis just went crazy. He was like, "Without this company, you wouldn't have shit. You wouldn't be anything." This, this, he was yelling the entire time. So it's that there were a bunch of sexual harassment things happening at Uber. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a time when Travis would just go on Twitter for day's end and be like, "John Zimmer, the founder of, of Lyft, like you suck ass," or like those sorts of like like <laughs> mature things. Um, so yeah, it's well well documented. The man was an asshole. Okay, well that then that's well taken. Then yeah. I will say, um, I think the social network. Back to this one thing that Gary Vee said is he felt like the social network really jaded a lot of people to Mark Zuckerberg as a person Um, because in the social network, he's kind of like an asshole and he's like, (laughs) he's portrayed as uh, I mean, literally from the first scene, he's treating his girlfriend like an asshole and then she breaks up with him and then he like starts the Facebook and according to Gary, like that's all bullshit. And especially after coming into his world and like now having seen Mark kind of talk on like many different occasions, I have a feeling that maybe he wasn't that, Mm. Uh, but you know, Hollywood is what people believe. And now we all have a picture of who Mark Zuckerberg is through that movie. Yeah. Yeah. I I like kind of got the asshole thing. I kind of also think they were like really trying to press the boy genius on the spectrum type of thing, not aware Mm. of like emotional cues and that sort of like, that's how I interpreted that. Autistic. Yeah, exactly. And that's how, how I interpreted that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, shit, man, I actually don't have like a, a third topic. Do you have one? I have one. Okay, let's finish with that. That I think is you'll enjoy. Um, so we've gone from this is going to be fucking awesome <laughs> to this is going to be great. So I think you'll enjoy this one. <laughs> um, so I read this book. Like first of all, Kindle. Uh, can I like do like an ad real quick? Like oh, for I think for all you people out there who like want to start reading, who want to make that a part of your 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 habit or whatever, you should just get a Kindle and just always have it on you. Anytime you have an impulse to like go on Twitter, or go on Instagram, or whatever, just pull out that Kindle, get into your book. Do get Goodreads as well, so like you could be social about it and it tracks how many books you're reading. It's it's been great. But like a month and a half ago, I finished this book called The Startup Wife. I told you about this a bit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't want to like spend too much time giving background on this, but essentially the concept of this book is that uh, let me not close this is that this uh, this woman who's working as a PhD student in a lab creates this very cool algorithm, right? And then her husband, and there's a whole like romantic arc happening there. They're newlyweds, right? Her husband is one of these guru type people who have studied all the religious dialects out in the world and knows everything about pop culture. And is just like this mind that knows all about like those sorts of things, right? And essentially they create an app that like is able to create religious traditions based on certain parameters that you give it. Right. Mm. So let me, let me explain. So you pull out this app and you tell them that you were born a certain time. Uh, you really enjoy you're you're a fan of like the Jonas brothers. You grew up looking at Seinfeld. Um, your father was, uh, was maybe Christian and your mother practiced like X, you give it a bunch of those parameters. And then you're like, um, 
you could ask it something like my grandfather just passed away. What should we do? Or I'm getting married. How should mm. we do for the trans- tradition? And it spits out a response that somehow takes all those parameters and like creates something. Right. So it's like on Seinfeld. That episode, is unique to you. Yes. Okay. So it's like on Seinfeld episode six, this happened in the show and your father really like this. So you should do the special ceremony out in some Island that like wraps all this together. Right. And the like, the mini kind of thesis of, 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 or like the mini kind of wave happening in this is like, we are in a very, uh, um, not a lot of people are, I'm like blanking on the word. It starts with an S. I don't know why, but like a lot of people are not practicing religion. Right. Yeah. Um, spirituality. And, uh, what you're looking for? No. What's the word for like, when you're not like, we're getting not stoic. What's the word for like, people are not practicing religion. We're getting to a more people who are like agnostic or atheist. Oh my God. We're, we'll cut all of this. Cause I'm blanking on the word. It's um, fine. But, uh, 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 no cuts, (laughs) (laughs) but essentially it's like, so if people are not practicing religion, um, people have to get their traditions from somewhere, right. Especially Uh, their life traditions, right. Um, how do you deal when people pass? How do you do marriages? How do you do quinceanera? How do you do these life events, right? Like what governs how you follow these sorts of things? And if you don't have religion and you're not pulling from, if, if you're Jewish or something, you're not pulling from this, where do you find your traditions? And their answer is like, you find it from pop culture. You find it from the books you read, the movies you look at, the celebrities you follow. That is like the new religion, right? Um, and it's a really interesting perspective to add in there. So let me just pause for a second. What are your, what are your reactions? Well, what is the thesis of the book? Is the thesis of the book that this is a good thing that we now find tradition in pop culture? So the way, I don't want to spoil it, but I don't know how many people are going to read this. Um, the way that the like step that the book takes is that, so you create these traditions, then you create a community around people who have similar traditions, right? Um, and then you get to a point where they like add this feature where you could talk to the dead, right? Mm-hmm. And then that kind of craters it, like that kind of kills the thing. So yeah. there, I, I guess, like the the point being made there is like any any times when you're kind of dabbling in the religions of people, it's dangerous and you right. shouldn't do it. And like that's how the how the book ends. But I think it's more of an interesting direction of like what replaces religion, like how people our age what do do they need like a religion to get their values from? Like what what does that even mean? I think yes, for sure. This is something I've actually been thinking about more. Like a few people I've been following on Twitter, some books I've been reading. Like I do think it's worthwhile, especially at this age that we are now. Um, especially like while I'm like single and I don't really have many responsibilities to like figure out like what are my values? Because if you ask most people what are their values, I think they wouldn't be able to tell you. Whereas um, when more people really believed in God, like in the 19th century, I think they really could tell you their values. Yeah. Um, and the way that our traditions have been replaced by popular culture, I think the values have become less explicit, right? Like, I think a lot of the values uh, that kind of underlay our culture is very much about individualism. This is from a US perspective. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the values that everyone subscribes to is like, I want to live my best life. I think that would be like the encapsulation of it. Like, I want to live my best life. Um, and, and what you notice about that is it, you can live your best life while the world around you is kind of burning, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so some of the values that I uh, think about a lot is like um, loving kindness is one of my values. 
So this is a, uh, basically a meditation practice of just like actively like thinking about people and just kind of like imagining that you're just like sending love from your brain to their brain. Like you just kind of like outwardly, mm-hmm. um, that's a value, um, being calm in times of in, in tumultuous times. That's a value of mine. So like, these are things that I've been like building up over time, but I do think it is, uh, something that is unique. I don't think most people have actually asked themselves like what their values are. What was the, I mean, you, you kind of gave the background of like the, the time that you're in being young, being in this time, being single, et cetera, and feeling compelled to find those values. I'm curious if there was like a trigger, like there was a reason that you were like, let me sit down and, and really work on understanding myself in that way. Yeah, I think, um, I think 2020 had a lot to do with it. Like I felt like after George Floyd, I got really into like, trying to figure out like what role could I play in like activism? Like, mm-hmm. was I going to take like a role like within my job? Was I going to find a way to like support DEIB efforts? And that's what I started doing, but I kind of fell out of love with that because mm-hmm. I didn't feel like it was something that I was really drawn to. Um, and then, you know, I kind of got into like crypto. I think a couple of books in particular, like Jordan Peterson's 12 rules of life. Um, this recent book I've been reading called like the, the, the way of the superior man. Mm-hmm. Um, some books that I, started rereading from my past, like Josh Waitskin's The Art of Learning. Um, I don't know that one. Huh. It's a good one. He's a big, he's a big, he's one of Tim Ferriss's best friends. Gotcha. Um, and I think all of these books, I think over 2021, I really started to think about like, what kind of life do I want to live? And I think when you start going down that path and you start reading a lot of books, you start thinking in terms of values. Hmm. Honestly, mm-hmm. to your earlier point, like you brought up everyone should, should have a Kindle. I feel like, the people who read books like think about this stuff more mm-hmm. because this kind of thought takes time and yeah. it takes freedom. And when you're scrolling on TikTok and Twitter, you're you're absorbing information, but you don't have any time to let it simmer. Yeah. 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 I mean, that goes back to the focus conversation like we, right. we had last time. I think one of the things that stuck with me, um, a, a past manager that I had like would, would really stress the importance of having like a personal mantra or a personal thing that you follow. Mm-hmm. And his, I wish I could remember it. Oh, Justin. Yeah. I just, well, I just <laughs> didn't know. Like, manager. Well, I, I don't want to drop. Like, I don't know. No one listens to this anyway, but um, his, the, the thing that he would always say was like, he wants to have a positive impact with like every soul that he comes in contact with. Yeah. Um, and I just think that's beautiful. Like having whether it's, like a like an affirmation you wake up in the morning or something to align yourself in the morning i think it's very very impactful i like i i couldn't really tell you right now what my values are one of the things i've been working on is like having a very clear mind like that's something i've really been trying to cultivate um having positive impacts on people like working on the ways that i communicate myself with people and just making sure it's like as clear as as possible like there's there's that quote is like you could you could say something and someone may hate it they may love it but they better understand it like just that clarity of thought when you're saying something that's a bar um, i I really (laughs) enjoy so these are things that have been floating but like to sit down and say these are my values is something i'm a point i'm not at well i think i think you're on the right track because something that really clicked for me is like you know because we don't talk in these terms often like what are your values people don't even know where to begin but like a good definition of like a value is like the way that you want to be right so having a clear mind that's that's a way of being right like you want to go through your day and have like a clear mind i want to go through my day and i want to feel like 
I'm just friends with everyone. Like, I don't mm-hmm. want to have any resentment or anger towards anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a great way to start. Like, a couple things that have been influential for me, like a guy named Mr. Money Mustache, right? He's another one I, I met through, not met, but like came across through Tim Ferriss. And he's like, okay, like if, if you want to have a good life, all you got to do is just like have a good day and keep having a good day, right? Like just make it simple. So think yeah. about like what a good day would look like for you. And then you think about like, what kind of person do you want to be throughout the day? So like clear mind, loving, physically fit, high energy. That's a, that's probably a value of mine. I want to be as high energy as I possibly can be. Um, so those things, I think that's a, a good starting place. And another comment I wanted to make, like living your best life. Like if that's kind of like the, the value or the mantra of kind of like the, the Instagram age, the, the thing about that is it's, it's not useful in, in, in tumultuous times, hmm. like during COVID during a, a war in Russia and Ukraine, and then, you know, whatever comes next, um, when, when your North star is live my best life, it really doesn't give you any direction yeah. when things are going back. Yeah. Cause it's very hard there's to no live here. Yeah. yeah. There's no, um, when things like this happen and your North star is live my best life, all you can do is complain yeah. because this thing has now gotten in the way of you living your best life because now I can't travel or now, you know, bars are closing again. But when you have a different kind of value that is much more flexible to whatever is happening, like you can still be loving no matter what is happening, right? Mm-hmm. It's actually more important to be so during troubling times. Mm-hmm. So that might be- I uh, really like that. That's something to think about when you're thinking about your values, like what is a value that is flexible to the external world? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I, I love the, the like it, the uh, Lego size bit of have a good day. Who do you want to be during that day? And then kind of build off of that. And I love the uh, a value It's not even like a flexibility, but it's something that does not only matter in, in certain circumstances or certain, certain places. I, I like that a lot. Yeah, man. And I think back to the, the, the Lego bit idea, this is, this is the way I actually think about my career. Like, I think when a lot of, uh, young people like us are thinking about like what we want to be, um, I think I started out very early thinking about like what kind of day I want to have and like the kind of day that like, I, I, I've realized that I think I'm going to end up being like a a content creator, like a writer or a podcaster. Like, I think I'm going to get there eventually after Mm -hmm. I kind of go through um, like I kind of, I go through some, the business cycle. Like I like the companies that I'm working for, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But the reason I know I'm going to end up being a content creator is because my perfect day is like, I want to wake up, go for a walk, do some really structured, deep focused work for like four hours, not answering emails, not on calls with people, not like responding to shit, but like, I know what I want to work on and I'm going to like do something specific. And then I want to go like, exercise or a bike ride or like go get a, a drink with a friend and then i want to like read a book and then have some tea and go to bed yeah like if i could do that every day i would be happy and so now i think about like how do i put myself in a position to do that every day versus which i think a lot of people do is they're like okay what kind of career do i want to have or what kind of title do i want to have or how much money do I want to make? But they don't really put a lot of thought into like, what is my day-to-day going to look like? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then they wonder why they burn out. Yeah, yeah. It's a binary goal that you have to hit. If you don't hit it, you're a failure. Or if not, I like that. I think some of the things in my head now are 
every day being able to have work on a, a, a very interesting problem with a diverse group of people. Like this mm. is something I really enjoy, right? Whether you're building something, whether you're working on something as small as like a project or as big as like a, a whether it's like a club initiative or something, something kind of more impactful. Um, but being able to sit with problems and deal with them and work with interesting people is something I, I value a lot. Um, also just having like ha- having variety in the day. Like I love yeah. whether it's uh, taking a walk or going from place to place or kind of jumping around like that excitement in, in the next 10 years for me, like this will definitely change. Right. Yeah. But the mindset I have now has that, uh, flexibility and spontaneity kind of baked into, into the day. Got it. Let's, let's end with this. Where do you see yourself, um, living long-term? Uh, and maybe it doesn't have to be a specific place, but like what? Like describe kind of the the scene for me. Um, if long term means between twenty and thirty five, forty, uh, I see myself in a city um, atmosphere, whether it's New York, San Fran, London, like wherever I Beijing, like wherever I, I could possibly mm. be. Um, definitely would be in a city, right? Definitely would have to have proximity to friends and things to do and that sort of thing, right? Um, and also, like I, I really. Um, sunlight and space does a lot for me. I mean, yeah. I, I'm someone who like adores views because I just love seeing like expansive horizons and that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. So that those are all things that would like mean, I, I couldn't be in the middle of nowhere. I just would, I'd go yeah. crazy. I couldn't do it. Um, so those are being, being kind of in a city state city scape and having that is where I'd see myself. Got it. Yeah. I mean, for, for me, like sunlight was really important. Like when I, you know, I was in Michigan and then I was in New York, I'd never lived in California. Mm -hmm. And I tell people all the time, like, I felt like my mood dramatically changed for good when I moved to California. And so it's, it's the sunlight, it's the views. I think for me, um, it's not, it's not a city, but like, I want to live in a town, (laughs) right? So if you think about like a spectrum of like a very, very dense city, like New York, all the way to like the middle of nowhere, I guess I kind of want to be in the middle. And I think my parents have actually figured it out when I think about my life and their life, they have always lived in college towns. So my, my parents, before they had me, they lived in Raleigh, North Carolina, um, very close to Duke and UNC. Yeah, yeah. And then we lived in Ann Arbor, Michigan, right next to University of Michigan. Then we lived in Palo Alto, right next to Stanford. I didn't know that. And then now they live in Laguna, which is really close to UC Irvine, but like Laguna itself has that kind of vibe. Yeah. yeah. And I think in the, in the vibe that like, like, it in you know if my mom's ever listening to this like she always she always tells me like i'm great at creating lifestyles aren't i and i'm like yes you are mom and um what she's always found a way to do is to find like a home in a good neighborhood that was very walkable yep i want to live in a walkable place uh relatively quiet but it was always no more than five to ten minutes from like a nice downtown center not necessarily a city like we're not talking about like you know the west village um but there was like action right you didn't you you felt like you could kind of get away from it and get back to it very quickly i see i see yeah i like that a lot i like that a lot it's also interesting because there are startups that are trying to manufacture those sorts of communities like there's uh, what is it called there's a startup called cul-de-sac that i think are trying to build Mm. these walkable communities where you have proximity to your your grocery and that sort of thing your friends live near you and kind of you have all of those basic was it like the maslow's hierarchy like you have all those basic needs serviced by like the urban design of where you're living yeah it's just like a very interesting way to think about how cities are created and how communities are created yeah Um, but yeah i like that a lot intentional living intentional communities and potentially maybe it's not you know 
I think one thing I want to do in my 20s is really broaden my perspective outside the United States, hmm. right? Because I think we, we're very limited by that. A lot of what we know or think about the rest of the world comes from like movies or like social media. Yeah. But I think there is opportunity for a lot of these like intentional communities to be created uh, potentially in other places. Yeah. So that's another thing I'm thinking about. 100%. I mean, digital nomad stuff. Like I think the growth yeah. of that movement has led to a lot oh, of people okay. opening their Oh, you, you gave me an opening. <laughs> I think uh, a lot of people who participated in the Great Resignation are going to be really mad that they quit their jobs in 2021. Huh. Because I think 2022 is going to be uh, particularly painful for people who are unemployed. So I can't remember the details, but I thought the whole thing about the Great Resignation where people like, like all in all, unemployment didn't increase at a huge level. Like people just got right. better jobs. I thought that was the point with the Great Resignation. Ooh, maybe, yeah, maybe you're right and I'm wrong about that. I think what I'm referring to is I, I did, I definitely felt like there was a current and maybe it's just because of like what I was seeing on my TikTok feed. Mm -hmm. Like I don't have the data here. I felt like there was a current of people who like over 2020, uh, they just had enough time to be like, fuck this. I don't like working. <laughs> and then in 2021, they're just like, fuck it. I'm actually going to quit my job like on their Gary Vee shit. Like I'm going to go do it myself. <laughs> um, but the thing is a lot of people back to the other, a lot of people don't have the competence, hard work and talent to, to do it on their own. Mm -hmm. And I think in 2022, we're going to live through this cycle where everything is going to get more expensive. And a lot of these people who quit their jobs because they were like, fuck it, fuck capitalism are going to find out that you can only really say fuck capitalism when you live in like such a rich country. Yeah. And then now we're going to go through a tough time and they're going to be like, oh, fuck, it just got real. Mm -hmm. I, to, to that point, there was definitely large groups of people who went into like the freelance stuff, content creator stuff, that sort of thing. And I think it's going to hit you that only the top 10% of creators on Twitch or X platform make that money, right? And then when you go through exactly the sort of climate you're talking about, shit gets scary very quickly, right? So no, I agree with you on that. Yeah, so I don't want to end on that note, but it is something I wanted. It is something I wanted to say because I was like watching a TikTok. Like, I just feel like I see a lot. Like a TikTok in particular, I see a lot of people just like complaining. Like, they, like I hate capitalism. I hate mm. working. And it's not that I uh, disagree with like the sentiment. It's just that like there's a certain level of entitlement that comes with it that I think people are missing. It's just like, like you don't get it though. Like when things get tough, like you're gonna wish you had that job. And it actually wasn't as bad as you thought. I don't know. Can I ask a very different question? Yeah. Um, when it comes to TikTok, so I deleted TikTok maybe like a, a year and a half ago or something during quarantine because I'm like I'm, I was spending way too much time on this sort of thing. Yeah, right? man. But I feel so out. Like my friends mention TikTok things and whatnot, and they send me things, and I just feel so out of it. Right? Have like the first question I guess is like right now, like do you have TikTok? Like do you you're on TikTok? Yeah. Okay. And then two, how do you control your consumption of TikTok? Uh, uh, yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I, I quit TikTok as like a New Year's resolution and I brought it back in February. <laughs> um, Damn. I, um, I mean, the, the TikTok thing, like I, I have never uh, closed TikTok and felt like, and felt good. Hmm. Not, not just like, Oh, I'm bad because I spent 45 minutes on TikTok. Like it really, it, it does hurt your brain after a while. Um, and it's not just the fact that you're looking at your phone. I think it's the, I think the brain actually has trouble, like, or at least, at least I do, switching between things. So it, yeah. it's the constant yeah, yeah. switching. Yep. And the fact that again, you don't have time to let things simmer. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, 
the thing about TikTok is like I get a lot of great information from TikTok. Like, re, like I found knees over toes guy through TikTok. Yeah. Um, a lot of the exercises that I do because I see a lot of fitness content on TikTok, I find through TikTok. So there are things that I, I I see there that I like. Go ahead. And you consume it so quickly that even if there's like one nugget out of twenty things, like it's the same thing with Twitter. That's that's yeah. how they get you. But, yeah. Yeah. But um, to 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 the point that you made about feeling out of the loop, I actually think this is something that we have to um, lean into, and and we'll we'll transition away because Sean is almost here. Uh, this is gonna be fun, straight from the podcast into the turn. Um, but um, what I was gonna say is, I think as the internet evolves, we are gonna get further and further into our silos, and there's gonna be no FOMO because it's not like everyone's gonna be doing the same thing, right? I, uh, I hate that though. Like I, okay. I, I don't know. I pride myself on, or maybe this is going to sound stupid, but I like like being able to interact with large groups of people and have like kind of versatile friend groups and that sort of thing. Right. And I just without having that in in kind of as a tool, right? TikTok as a tool. I just talking with people. I sometimes feel like I, I just don't. It's, well, it's so difficult. Honestly, I feel like we're already at that point now. <laughs> like <laughs> I, I feel like we're already at the point where most of the information that maybe even your friends are. Uh, uh, kind of consuming every single day is so different than what you're consuming. Yeah. Even if it's on the same platform. Yeah. Like, let's remember, like TikTok is different from everyone. Even with these podcasts, I find like, I always, I always think that we're going to end up talking about the same things, but I think we, and it's good. We talk about different things because mm-hmm. even though we're similar in many ways, like I think we, we see different content in our feeds, Yeah, you know, yeah. we have different interests and I think that's good. And I actually think it's a reason to continue to seek people out even when we can spend all of our time inside and not be bored because at the end of the day, like you can't get outside of your feed unless you go talk to someone else and see what their feed is like and see what they're consuming. That's a good way to end the pod. Let's go. (laughs) We finally found a good way to end (laughs) episode four. We're out.